chapter 4, as we join in with believers from all around the world in setting our faces toward Jerusalem and Easter, uh, a part of that is, you know, you, you have to cover some things that maybe aren't as, you know, like, feel good as other parts of stuff, and so um, we're just kind of making an intentional dig into Things like sin and uh, the things that actually brought Jesus to the earth. Uh, and I realized it wasn't sin, it was love, so I totally get that. You know, so um, that's not what I'm saying. But we have to understand that it was his love for us and his um, brokenheartedness that sin had us bound that he came for. And so because he loves you and, and doesn't want you to live in bondage to sin and knowing you couldn't do anything about it. He came. And so we're kind of uh, making sure that we talk about the sin aspect of things as well uh, and celebration of the cross, not as a way of, of, of us feeling bad about things, but it really just amplifies the grace of the Lord, you know. And so um, what we're going to do is we're going to look at this passage over the next three Sundays uh, and look at... Jesus' battle with temptation in the desert uh, and kind of pick that apart and just acknowledging that there are just plenty of things that, that God wants to teach us through this. And so let's just read together just the first four verses. It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, I know a lot of us in this room... um, come from church backgrounds of different sorts, and I know not everybody, but uh, when we look at this tonight, we have to like, be very cautious that the way that we interpret this is not a, um, something that, I, that I've heard described as behavior modification, you know, which is uh, kind of like you know, that Christianity is really, it's about keeping this list of do's and don'ts, you know, making sure that that your behavior always looks right. Um, Jesus came, and in his teaching, he, was, he shows over and over and over again that it's not about the behavior. It's about, it's about the, where that behavior is coming from. And, and the problem is, uh, before someone is saved, the problem is that they have a heart of stone, uh, that sin has hardened the heart, and so uh, that's what is leading to those behaviors. But when you're saved, that heart of stone comes out. He gives us a heart of flesh, and that heart of flesh is, is now, it's, it's good, and it's righteous, and it's learning how to be a heart. And that new heart is renewing this mind of ours that only knows bondage to sin. 
And it's from our minds that come our emotions, and from our emotions, a lot of times come come our behaviors. And so, so if if the application is uh, of anything in Christianity is like, well, look, just don't like don't do these things on this list. Do the things on this list. Don't get the list crossed ever, and you'll be fine. What you're doing is you're just taking care of all this external stuff, and you're ignoring the deep issues where it's rooted. And so Jesus is always like, he's just always teaching, he's flipping this upside down, just constantly saying, it's not about that, it's about this. Take care of this, that'll take care of itself. And that's kind of where this is going to go tonight, but we, but we are going to talk about some of those behaviors. And so I want to make sure that none of us walk out of here tonight being like, oh, so I just have to start doing these things, stop doing these things, and everything will be fine. Uh, that's not what we're saying. Um, but, we, but what Jesus addresses here and, and the situation he finds himself in, I believe, is something that you and I can all identify with. Now, I, you've probably never done a 40-day fast, and I've never done a 40-day fast either. Um, but if you can imagine the hunger and the exhaustion that would like, be the place, uh, we, would be your reality if that's where you were, um, then that's kind of where, where Jesus finds himself. You notice in verse 1, it says... Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So God the Father instructs the Spirit to instruct the Son. Okay, that's maybe kind of weird. Basically, God brought him into the desert to be tempted on purpose. Like this was a strategic moment in the life of Jesus here on the earth. This was on purpose. Um, And the purpose was to be tempted. And what temptation does is temptation has a way of, of exposing some things in us. Uh, it has a way of, of kind of, of letting our true colors show in, in, in some areas. And not true uh, in a negative way, true in a really good way. That sometimes when we're faced with something, something comes to the surface that you didn't know was there, and you're like, okay, good, now, now I can deal with it. And that's kind of the nature of what's going on. Um, and there's a number of reasons why the Spirit would lead Jesus to this point, and we'll talk about that stuff in a couple of weeks. Um, but here he is. The Spirit has led him there to be tempted. Forty days without eating, forty nights without eating. And of course, verse 2 says he is hungry, which, okay, awesome. Uh, look at what the, look at, at the situation, and this is how I think we can relate. Jesus found himself in a position of being incredibly vulnerable and incredibly alone. And so, those two things are a dangerous combination for us. And, I, and now, when I say alone, I don't mean that you're only tempted when you're by yourself. You are tempted uniquely when you're by yourself. I think we would all agree that there are things that you are, are um, places that your mind will go, things that you're tempted to do or whatever when you are by yourself that you are not tempted to do when you're with a group of people. Um, I won't give any examples. Uh, there are also things that you're tempted to do with a group of people that you would not do if it was like just you by yourself. And so that's, that context, that's, that relational context, your, your social environment, the things you're surrounded by, has a, just a major factor in, in just this battle with temptation and with sins that we still fight. Now, he was also vulnerable. For him, he had not eaten, you know, for 40 days. And so he was physically very, very vulnerable. And sometimes that's our vulnerability. Like, it's, it's very physical in the sense that sometimes we're, 
We are tired, you know, physically. There is a weariness sometimes that comes with, with life or whatever. Um, other kinds of vulnerabilities. You can be emotionally vulnerable at times, you know. You can, you can be very lonely, even in, a, even in a, a group full of people, you know. You can be sad and not know why you're sad, you know. Uh, you can be jealous, but you aren't really sure why. You can be angry, but you can't really articulate what, who you're angry at or what would change the situation or whatever. There's a vulnerability sometimes emotionally. Um, I think spiritually we can be vulnerable sometimes. Uh, maybe, you're, maybe you're just in kind of one of those, like, just a season that you could describe as just being really dry. You know, like you don't, you don't sense the Lord's nearness. You don't sense His care for you. It looks like he's blessing everybody around you, but he's ignoring you, those kinds of things. And there's a, a vulnerability that can happen. Um, sometimes we're mentally vulnerable, you know, like you're, uh, you've been um, ingesting all this stuff. Uh, like you, um, I don't know, let's, let, let's just say like, like if you, I remember one time, um, like the, when the Sopranos made it to DVD years ago. Like, for some reason, like, I watched, like, six episodes in a row. And I was just, like, angry. Just, and just ready to just, I, I don't know what it was. It's something about it. Because I was mentally vulnerable. I had ingested so much mafia whatever that I was, like, I was just losing my mind for a second. I had to, like, get my bearings, you know. Um, I think sometimes, like, you've, you're so exhausted mentally or you've ingested so much garbage uh, mentally, that you there's a vulnerability there. Um, when when you combine those things, when a, when your social context and your uh, whatever kind of vulnerability is there, that is a prime like recipe for temptation. We should not be like totally shocked when that happens. Can't be caught off guard. I don't think that Jesus was like, oh wow, I'm so surprised that I'm being tempted to turn stones into bread when I haven't eaten for forty days. Super clever, Satan. You know? I don't think he was surprised. I think, of, of course, 40 days of prayer and fasting will make you physically vulnerable, but uh, your spiritual strength would just be just phenomenal. You know? And so I don't want you to get this picture of Jesus like, you know, in the fetal position on the ground, like whatever. It wasn't that. Like, he was strong, but he was physically weak. So the enemy comes in and just decides, like, hey, he's by himself. Nobody's going to see this, right? And he's incredibly hungry. So I'm going to start with the obvious. We can't be surprised when that happens. If you're struggling and you know there's a vulnerability that's there, don't be shocked when you're, like, feeling tempted to do certain things. For that vulnerability of your mind to make you feel a certain way, for those feelings to lead to behaviors that you don't want to do, you don't like, things that you're frustrated with, and, and maybe there's just some patterns. Maybe there's this, to you, there's just this infinite loop of behavioral sin that you're like, I just, I can't, I just can't seem to break this cycle. And so we trace it back to emotion, trace it back to the mind. There's some vulnerability that's there. And so, of course, the enemy comes up. You know, Two Sundays ago, we talked about Lent and kind of one of the concepts to help us through Lent is to see Lent as, as being kind of like rehab. You know, we are in bondage to sin. There's this addiction. Jesus freed us from that. And so um, 
you know, you go through detox and then you go through rehab where you're learning how to rehabilitate your life. You're learning how to live without that addiction and you're learning how to do everyday normal things without whatever it was being a part of it. And so we're in rehab together. We're learning how to not constantly turn to ourselves and be self-reliant and prideful and whatever. And so don't be surprised in the midst of rehab when there's temptation that like just shows up sometimes. Now, the, one of my favorite things about this passage it is just so good to me to know that Jesus had to face this stuff, you know? Like, he had to confront that kind of vulnerability, being alone. He had, he had that, like, presented to him, and he made it through without sinning. He's the only one that's ever made it through sinless. And so now he lives as our intercessor to help show us how to do this. And a part of how he does this is by uh, instructing the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to help us interpret the Scriptures to see what's going on. So let's, let's look, at, look at, at the actual temptation, okay? Um, he says, verse 3, The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. So if the mental leads to emotions and then eventually behavior, what he was trying to do was trying to really help Jesus to see, see this opportunity in a, in a way that was inconsistent with what's real. So turn these stones to bread is like beneath that there are a couple of things we can see. One of those would be something like, I mean, it's just bread. All right, it's just bread. It's not an Outback special. You know? It's not Thanksgiving feast. It's just bread. That's a part of the temptation. Saying, oh, it's really not a big deal. It's just these little stones, little bits of bread. Another part of the temptation, who's going to know, right? You're alone in the desert. Nobody's going to know this. It'll be our little secret. The temptation that if nobody finds out, it really, it's, it's okay. As long as nobody finds out. The, uh, the idea that, like, man, you deserve this. You've made it 40 days. Treat yourself. You earned it. Why would God be mad at you for turning these little stones into little pieces of bread when you've worked so hard He's probably so happy. You deserve it. How about this one? Your body wants bread. You were designed by yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Creation joke. Uh, You designed the human body to need food. You did that. Your body is craving it. Your body must be right. Almost like, trust, trust the biology that you just so brilliantly created here. Your body must be right, so give in to it. Another part of it is maybe, how about you, why don't you just take control of this, man? 
You know, like, how sadistic is it for God to bring you out here, make you starve for 40 days? Take control. If you're the Son of God, come on, prove it. Man up. Take control of this situation. You kind of know better, right? Because you're the Son of God, right? Like, there's a... Your, your opinion's probably pretty important, too. God the Father is not up there starving Himself. Take control of it. This one a little tough for us. You're, you're entitled to it. You're the Son of God. You deserve this because of who you are. There's an entitlement that's there. There's so much more, and I come up with a bunch of other ones or whatever, but I think you see what's going on. It's more, more than just, if you're the Son of, of, of God, turn these stones to bread. It's more than that. It's a challenge to how, how do you think about this action? How do, you, how do you think about it? Mentally, what's going on? What's your, what's your take on this? And the temptation is challenging right thinking about it. Saying, so are you sure you're right about that? Because what about all this other stuff? And so what Jesus says, um, Jesus' best question answer ever. And this is what he said. He just quotes the Old Testament. He says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8. This is where this comes from. I think when we're, when we're talking about being tempted with... with I'm, I'm going to call it like behavioral sin. Now, remember, it begins in the mind, leads to the actions, the way we're thinking about things. That's where it starts. So we're not just trying to like fix behavior. But when you look at those behavioral sins, especially the ones that are habitual and their patterns, that's originating. It's, it's starting somewhere in the mind. And I think when Jesus says this quote, um, what's, we have to kind of like become... We have to become Jewish in a, se- in a sense that when you, when you would quote a part of a passage of Scripture, um, if you would quote something from, from Psalms or from the, the first five books of the Bible, uh, you just had to say a part of it, and everybody knew the whole thing. Because they memorized and prayed the Scriptures. That's all they did. So they, they would not pray these original prayers, you know, like... Uh, like you and I pray now, like Jesus did when, you know, in the Lord's Prayer or whatever, they would pray the Word of God. That's how they did it, and they memorized it. And so, um, you know, if I were to say, um, uh, if I were to say, you know, the rocket's red glare, you know, you would think, you'd know the whole Star Spangled Banner, right? When I just say that one phrase. Uh, That's a weird example. But, um, (laughs) so by him saying this one verse, He's essentially quoting the whole text, and the whole text gives a lot of insight to you and I when we're faced with those, those behavioral sin temptations where there's a part of us that's just being like, I just want to do this. Like, I want to, I just want to do this. 
It's not because Satan's always coming after us. A lot of times it's because we're just we're still in rehab and we're still wired up in such a way where whatever, you know, whatever's going to make us happy in the moment, we're going to do that. But I think how Jesus handles this sets a pattern for us in how we handle such things. Let's, let's look, at, look at this. Um, so this is after the 40 years in the wilderness, and that whole crew has passed away. Um, this is what it says, verse 1. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give your fathers. Okay? So the generation they promised uh, the land to, they had all passed away. This was all the, the next crew that came along, and they were going to be the ones that he was going to lead into the promised land. So he's like, you need to pay attention because it's, it's, it's on. Okay? Um, verse 2, And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that He might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep His commandments or not. Okay. Now the idea of testing is to expose what's really going on in your heart. It's same thing from temptation. It's the same stuff. Is God put them in a situation to expose things in their hearts and minds they didn't know were there, things that they needed to know about themselves, reasons that they needed to turn to Him. So He, he does this with us. Like He allows things to happen in our lives sometimes, and He puts us in situations sometimes to expose stuff that we just like are kind of looking the other way and don't really realize are there. It's kind of that same rehab idea again. There are times when we're addicted to things and we don't realize we're addicted to things. And he's like, okay, I'm going to show you that you're addicted to things. And that's when you're like, okay, I need to go to rehab. That's, that's, how, that's how it works. And it's not a new thing. He did that with the Israelites. And so that's what he's saying. That this is what's happened to humble you and to, to test you uh, in order to expose what's like the, what the problem and to show you that you need me. You just don't realize that you need me because you're addicted to self. Um, verse 3, And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Okay? So if you remember, they were freed from slavery. They get out into the desert and they're like, where's all the food? We had pots full of meat back in Egypt. I mean, we were slaves, but we had lots of meat and bread and stuff to eat. Let's go back there. And God's like, no, like you don't, you don't get it. You're addicted to some things back there. You're in bondage, not just physical, social bondage, but spiritual bondage. I've freed you from that in order to free you from this. You need to trust me. And they're saying, we want to go back. And he's saying, no, I don't think you get it. So he let them be hungry. And that exposes this thing in their hearts. Then he starts to feed them with this weird stuff that would appear in, on the ground in the morning. And it was edible. And it's interesting, I never read this before. There's a place in the book of Numbers when they're, when they're griping and they're complaining about all this stuff. And they're like, and what's up with this, this bread? It's worthless. 
It's like, here they are starving in the desert. They walk outside in the morning, and they can eat the dew, basically. Like, hey, there's dew all over the grass. Oh, wait, it's flaky, and we can eat it. And it fills us. And they're like, yeah, but it tastes weird. He's like, exactly. That's the problem right there. It's all about you. I'm going to free you from that. So he let them be hungry to humble them and to teach them. Man does not live by bread alone. It's not about this circumstantial whatever. It's not about your life looking a certain way. It's not about all the things that are so important to you. You live by my promises, by my faithfulness, by my goodness. I am, I am your life. And so when Jesus says that verse, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, what he's essentially telling the devil is, you don't feed me, God feeds me. That bread does not feed me, God feeds me. I don't feed myself, God feeds me. Because I'm not going to think incorrectly about the action of turning these breads into stone. I'm not going to be distracted. I'm not going to sin against my Father and His goodness. You don't feed me. My Father feeds me. That's the brilliance of His answer. The Scripture continues... Verse 4, your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Okay? 40 years, walking around the desert, no swelled feet. Your clothes didn't wear out. He took care of them. Verse 5, know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in His ways and by fearing Him. Fear is not terror. Fear is a, a worth, a value, a holy understanding of who God is. Um, it's not terrified Halloween kind of stuff. It's just this great awe and respect for who God is. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills you can dig copper, and you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land He has given you. See, Jesus is saying, my Father not only feeds me, but what He's going to feed me is better than anything I could have come up with on my own. His plan for me, it far outweighs any, anything that I could gain or benefit from turning these stones into bread. When He points back to this Scripture, He's pointing back and saying, Israel, they didn't really get it. I get it. So your little temptation, it's not going to work on me because I, I know how to think correctly. I'm not going to fall for it. Because God feeds me. You don't feed me. I don't feed me. Bread doesn't really feed me. 
Jesus makes this amazing statement one day. He says, I have food that you don't even know about. He said, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me. How amazing is that? He's like, yeah, to me, like obedience to the Father, it's, it's like food. When, when food is absent, there's, there's a longing for that. And you're like, something's not right. My body wasn't made to work this way. He's like, yeah, that's kind of how obedience is to me. Like it nourishes me and feeds me and makes me function in the way where there's true shalom, like I'm synced up with who God is. So in this answer, he, wasn't, he could have just been like, no, I'm not going to do that. But he's like, no, that's not how this works. Man doesn't live by bread alone. Man lives by the sustaining power of God at work. And so what, so what does this have to do? Well, like, okay, so what do, what do we do? Like you're supposed to, every time you're tempted, like have a good Bible verse to quote? Well, that's a pretty good strategy, honestly. That's not, that's not where I'm going here. It's, it's really not the, the Scripture itself, but he's saying this is my perspective. Like This is what I know to be true in my mind. And so you take the temptation and stuff that you're facing, and maybe it's the, maybe it's the habitual stuff, or maybe it's the whatever, but like, like in the times when you and I when were tempted to do something, and you know, you're like, this action, not who I am in Christ. This is not, it's not really me. By doing this, I'm choosing myself over him, and you're like, so you know what I'm talking about. And those things, how do you process through that? How do you work through that? Um, If you back up from the action, and you go all the way back to the mind, and if you're serious, you're like, I really want, I really want Jesus to help me with this. Let me give you one, one question that you can ask yourself. Uh, Maybe, maybe in the midst of the temptation, maybe you're like processing it another time. Here's the one question uh, that you can ask yourself. You ready? Why? Question mark. Just why? And say why. And I think in Matthew 4, like in, in there somewhere, it's not written or whatever, maybe I'm abusing scripture, but I kind of like, I think maybe in the back of Jesus' mind, he was like, why would I do that? Why? Why, when man doesn't live by bread alone, but by the word of God, why would I, why would I do that? Why? I think it would behoove us to stop and say, why? Why would I do this? I mean, I want to do that, so it's not a matter of want, but why do I want to? Why would I? Why did I? Why do I consistently? Whatever it is, just why? Now, let me give you some, like, some questions beneath that, because for some, you're like, that's all I need to know, just why, that's it, I got it. Others are like, yeah, but I need to know more of that. So let me, I'll give you six of them, you note takers, bullet point people. Six, six questions real quick to apply Here's one. Um, am, I, am I trying to find a new source of food to fill this void in my like, vulnerability? You know, so Jesus is essentially saying, 
you don't feed me, Satan. These stones turned to bread wouldn't feed me. I don't even feed myself. God feeds me. Ask yourself, okay, why? Am I looking for another way to feed this vulnerability that's there? Am I looking to something other than the Lord for something that only the Lord can actually provide? Um, an example of this could be, could be something like re- related to like just our struggles with materialism, which are ongoing and very prominent, you know? It's just that struggle with, like, man, I really want the latest whatever, or I need a better one of these, or, you know, all this kind of stuff or whatever. And, and so for some, you have the financial, like, capabilities to just go out and buy whatever. Uh, for others, you don't have the financial capabilities to do that. And so all you do is either long for it or envy those who have it and judge them and, you know, whatever. And there's this, all these things in between. But in so many cases, with, with real materialism... People are they're trying to like find worth and value from having stuff. And I'm not against having stuff. I mean, people have stuff, it's fine. It doesn't mean that it plays a weird role in your heart, but for some, it does. And so if you're just perpetually tempted with material things, then back up and ask yourself, why? Why is that my vice? You know, why is that my deal? Am I trying to feed some weird part of my mind or my soul instead of, the, instead of Jesus being the one to do that? So that's one question you could ask. Another one, am I, am I trying to take control? A lot of our behavioral sin, it's, it's, it's control stuff. It's like all these things are going on in my life and I really can't figure out what to do. I can't control this, but I can control this. Um, see this sometimes with uh, with like financial stewardship which is similar to materialism but I'm talking about like um, like let's, let's take like gambling like you know people I'm not on this anti-gambling crusade or whatever but it's destroyed Thousands and thousands of lives and marriages and families. So let's not act like it's really not a big deal in our culture. Okay? Now, is it possible to do that and not be a sin issue? Okay. Um, is it worth asking yourself why if this is a perpetual sin that you struggle with? And I think it is. And I think it's a control issue. You're saying the financial stuff, like the money that God has entrusted to me to meet my needs and meet the needs of others is not enough. So I need to take some of it and try and go and like double down and try and like, you know, quadruple my money or whatever at the casinos or playing online poker or like whatever or um, I'm going to stop making examples, but you know what I'm saying? It's saying like, no, what God has entrusted to me is not enough to meet my needs. So I'm going to take matters into my own hands. Or because God has entrusted to me what would be enough, but I've squandered so much of it, and now I've got to go and try to like, you know, triple my money somewhere or whatever. It's taking control in this really weird way. And so if there's a part of you that's involved in these behaviors that somehow with your money, it involves taking what you have and uh, through whatever means, making more out of it, I think it would be very beneficial to step back and say, why? 
Now maybe God is like, look, this is not a sin issue. Maybe you do this and God's like, hey, you need to go to rehab in this area. And maybe that's like a, like a, like a literal like gambler's uh, addiction rehab deal. Or maybe it's just a sanctification process with him. He's like, we need to pray through this and talk through this and you can bring your community into it or whatever. That's just one example of what taking control could look like. And it's basically saying, I don't think that uh, God's doing a very good job with me in this area, so I'm going to take matters into my own hands. That's just a question. Um, here's another one. Um, am, I, am I rushing the process? So Jesus in the desert, he was going to get to eat eventually, right? Whenever God said, hey, it's time to break the fast. Satan comes in and says, hey man, why are you waiting for that dude? Rushing the process. Here's an example of how this could show up. Dating couples, engaged couples, playing married, playing house, messing around, spending the night, Yada, yada, yada. It's rusting the process. So, if you're single or you're married, you have friends who are dating or they're engaged, we need to be asking them those kinds of questions. And there's no dating couple and there's no engaged couple that can justify that stuff. It's always rushing the process. You can't do it. You can't do it. So we step back and say, why? It's like, yeah, but you know, I mean, we'll be married in three months anyway. It's like, yeah, so wait three months. Jeez. Do you feed yourself, or does God feed you? Are you in charge of your life, or are you trusting Him? How does Deuteronomy chapter 8, 1 through 10, fit into your life? Am I trying to rush the process? Or am I going to trust the Lord with His timing? Here's another one. Um, Am I trying to escape the process? Kind of different. Kind of the same. Some of it is like, I know where this is headed. I just want to like, I'm not trusting his timeline. I just want to get there. And other times, Jesus is trying to like purify something in you. He's trying to deal with something, that sanctification process. And sometimes we're like, you know what? I'm, I'm sick of this. Forget it. I'm out. And we've probably all been in that situation where you really feel like God's refining you, and then you just kind of like just, you just make some stupid decision. Because being refined by fire is not always fun. So we ask ourselves, am I trying to escape the process? It's different from rushing it. Rushing it, you want to hurry up and get there, and you don't really trust God's timeline. Another one is like, I don't think God's right about this at all. Hmm. Ask yourself. Here's another one. Um, am, I, am I trying to escape something in general? Not just the process, but am I trying to escape something? Um, you see this in like TVs and movies all the time when people like had a long day and they're like, oh, I need a drink. Like, do you? You need a drink? Why do you need a drink? I'm not sitting here... And this is not my anti-alcohol sermon. I think that people 
drink alcohol and whatever. And here's the problem, is that now it's trendy to make moderation the big issue. Moderation isn't the big issue. The heart is always the issue. The heart and the mind, they're leading you to drink. So you know what? You can, you can sip this much red wine and it still be sinful, not because of the amount, but because what's motivating you to do it. Now, I think moderation is an important issue and it should be talked about. It's just not primary. Primary would be what's leading you to do that in the first place. And if you're trying to escape something, you need to back up, ask yourself, why? What am I trying to escape? All right. One more awkward one, okay? Last one. Am I listening... Am I listening to my body too much? How easy would it have been for Jesus as soon as he heard the word bread? I'm sure he heard it and his stomach growled. Am I listening to my body too much? Your body will lie to you, it will. His body, in that growling stomach, was trying to lie to him and say, Turn him stones to bread. It's been 40 days. His body was lying to him. His mind made his body submit. And for some of us, that's what we need to learn how to do. So when your body's lying to you, so that your mind's saying, no, we're, we're not going to think incorrectly about this. Now these are six questions with six different examples of things that I see and hear and talk with people about and work through all the time in this church. So I know it's real. I know we're confronting it. And I could have come up with 20 more questions to ask, but I think you get the point. That when faced with temptation, especially in those like behavioral sins, those patterns that we're caught in, we really need to step back and learn from Jesus in this. He didn't make it through without sinning for a bunch of reasons that are unique to him. You and I are empowered with the same thing as Him. And He's interceding for us. And He's instructing the Spirit on how to help us make it through. So, when the Bible says that He was tempted in every way just like we are, yet was without sin, this is the kind of stuff that He went through. For Him, it was... Hunger, turning rocks to bread, whatever. For you, it might be whatever. At the core, it's the same battle with the same solution. And so I pray for us, collectively, individually, we need to pray for each other that we would not look at things besides the Lord. We would say, that action does not feed me. I don't feed myself. Another person doesn't feed me. None of these things feed me. 
the Lord feeds me. And he is better than life. And let that correct thinking, that renewed mind, change us to the point where whatever behaviors we're tempted to, we're like, you know, I'm still tempted to do that, but I'm thinking right about it now, and it's just not like it used to be. Because when you go to rehab with Jesus, and you submit to Him, and you're humble, He produces fruit in your life. And you're like, yeah, no, that's, this is abundant life. Okay, I get it now. I think that's a part of what Lent is about. I don't know where this lands in your life. Um, maybe you're just super uncomfortable right now. Maybe this is consistent with what God's been teaching you. Maybe there's just too much there, really. You just want me to shut up. I don't know. Good news, I'm done. Uh, that's all I got. Uh, but I'm done. Jesus is not done. And I believe that he's, he's turning up the soil on purpose. So let's be good stewards of that. Let's all stand together. I just want to pray for us. We're going to respond in song like we always do. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I'm, I'm grateful for your patience with me and with us as your children. Grateful that you just joyfully are rehabbing all of us and teaching us how, how to be free from that self-reliance, that addiction to thinking we know better than you about everything. Thank you for the gracious way that you just continually teach us that you and you alone feed us. We thank you, Lord, for the forgiveness of the cross that is, has covered our sins of self-reliance and pride. We thank you for the empowerment of the Spirit that helps us repent, helps us confess, helps us receive that grace, helps us learn to walk in the newness of life that is ours. And Lord, I just offer up this collective just request that you help us to, to see what's real and true about, all, about our various issues, those behavioral sins. Lord, help, help us to see that, that it originates in, in our minds and somewhere we're just we're thinking incorrectly about whatever it is. Lord, we need your help in learning how to realize that you and you alone provide with all that we need. That's how you made us. And so, Lord, I just ask that you would lead us all individually to be confessional and to be repentant and to receive that grace to claim the forgiveness that's on our lives because of what you have done. 
Lord, help us to break these cycles and God, that you'd bring us to a place where we're just, where we are indeed vulnerable in the kind of way that has us turning to you and not saying, I don't want that, I don't want manna, I don't want that whatever that you're giving me to look and say, God, thank you for feeding me, for, for, for providing me with all that I need for life and godliness through my knowledge of you, you who have called us to your own glory and goodness. So in these moments, help us to reflect personally and then as we sing, Lord, that, that these songs of truth would, would just, just cover over these things and pack them down that you started in us tonight, that we may be good stewards.